0: Welcome to the third episode of the Zoological Society of London's Wild Science podcast. I'm Moni Böhm, and I am still a postdoctoral researcher here at the Zoological Society. Well, February, as usual, was short and sweet, but I very much hope that most of you can still remember what you did on the 18th of February. What? No idea? Well, the 18th of February was a Saturday, so hopefully many of you got to have a well-deserved lie-in. And then I hope you all went out to celebrate World Pangolin Day. Yes, the third Saturday of February is World Pangolin Day. What is that, you say? The what-a-what day? World Pangolin Day. The pangolin is a mammal, a scaly anteater. Think for want of a better image, a pine cone with four legs and a tail. Now, why would you want to celebrate World Pangolin Day? After all, at least according to the website daysoftheyear.com, the same day was also World Whale Day. Again, so logical, so we like this one here too at ZSL. Battery Day... Where would we be without the humble battery? Well, for one, my recorder wouldn't work, so there would be no podcast. And of course, drink wine day. Well, the reason why you should celebrate World Pangolin Day above all is to find out more about these weird and wonderful creatures, which are sadly famous for being the world's most trafficked wild mammal. So in this podcast, we recap World Pangolin Day, talk about the immense threats that these amazing creatures find themselves under, and the solutions to the problem. And, maybe crucially, find out about what it takes to be a pangolin specialist. For the purpose of this, I am here with three guests who know a lot about pangolins and what to do to protect them. And before we start, who says you can't combine World Pangolin Day with Drink Wine Day? I almost certainly did. Right, so let's talk to my first guest. I'm here with Dan Challender from the IUCN Pangolist Specialist Group. Um, Dan, for the benefit of our listeners, how would you best describe a pangolin?
1: I think I'd best describe a pangolin as something crossed between a dinosaur and a pinecone. If you look at one, it looks like essentially a pinecone on legs with a stance of a tyrannosaurus um, and a long tail.
0: Excellent, I like it. Right, so how many species of these pinecone crossed with a Tyrannosaurus are there in the world?
1: Well, there's eight species of pangolins in total, um, four native to Africa and four native to Asia. So in Africa, you have the, uh, the long-tailed or black-bellied pangolin, Phatogenes tetradactyla, the white-bellied or tree pangolin, fatogenus tricuspis. Um, in eastern southern Africa, you have Temminck's ground pangolin, Smutsia temminckii. Um, and then you have the giant pangolin, Smutsia gigantia. And in Asia, there's four species, as I said. Uh, there's a Chinese pangolin, Manis pentadactyla, the Indian pangolin, Manis crassicodata, the Sunder pangolin, Manis javanica, and the Philippine pangolin, which was only um, described as a, as a distinct species um, well, in the late 90s and early 2000s, uh, Manis curianensis.
0: I expect all our listeners to remember the Latin names as there will be a test at the end of this podcast. So there is a claim that the pangolin is the world's most trafficked wild mammal. What is the evidence for this, and why are they so heavily trafficked?
1: Well, the evidence base that pangolins are the world's most illegally trafficked wild mammal um, actually comes from some research that I've been involved in. So some of the work that I did as part of my doctorate was to try and document the scale of the trade, illegal trade, in in pangolins, focused primarily in, in Asia. And to do that, I collected a lot of data on seizures and confiscations of pangolins that had been made in Asia, and then worked out how many animals that likely involved. And between 2000 and the end of 2016, that trade involved approximately 277,000 pangolins, mainly Asian pangolins, but increasingly African ones. Um, And so that's that's the basis for this calculation. And when you're looking at illegal trade and and trying to estimate numbers involved, lots of people – Make an assumption that we only seize about 10% of of actual um, trade that's taking place, accounting for uh, or trying to account for trade that goes undetected and unreported. But um, I wasn't comfortable using that as a parameter because it's a bit of it's a bit of a stab in the dark. So we've used something more conservative and assumed that the seizures that we've put together comprise 25% of all trade that takes place. So, I mean, there's still an element of uncertainty in that, but extrapolating um, 277,000 animals at a rate of, um, well, assuming 25% of those are seized, gives us today a number which is more than a million. So that's the basis for this figure.
0: And what are they traded for specifically?
1: So they're primarily traded um, internationally at least, um, to meet demand in East and Southeast Asian markets, such as China and Vietnam, Um, where there's a long history of eating the pangolin's meat, the the body of the animal, um, as as wild meat. But increasingly today, it's because of um, urban consumption. um, And it's business elites, sometimes um, government officials, um, rich, affluent um, people that consume pangolin's Um, in restaurants um, either to reinforce social ties among their friends and peers um, and family or for example uh, at banquets um, and business uh, business dinners business deals that sort of thing Um, and I've seen this myself in in Vietnam where um, people will go into a restaurant and order a pangolin and it's brought in live and it's, it's killed in the restaurant in front of the consumers and then it's taken away to the kitchen um, to, to be cooked. I mean, th- so that's one thing is pangolin meat. The second main thing is um, pangolin scales. So they're covered in, in scales. Uh, the major parts of their body, with the exception of the sort of ventral surface and the inside of the limbs, um, are covered in scales. And the scales are used in traditional medicines in um, China and Vietnam, where there's a long history of using animal and plant parts. And the traditional pharmacopoeia in in China and Vietnam prescribe pangolin scales for use in uh, medicines to help cure skin diseases, um, to help with, uh, as an example, psoriasis, um, to help um, lactating women secrete milk, um, and and other things. Um, you know, it's purported that that cancer is a is something that pangolin scales are used for as well. So there's a whole range of applications. So those are the two main reasons why they're trafficked.
0: So what is the role of the pangolin specialist group? Um, How are you ensuring that pangolins are not going to go extinct?
1: Well, the pangolin specialist group was set up in 2012 in recognition that um, pangolins did appear to have uh, an increasing extinction risk, but there wasn't one body internationally representing Africa and and Asia and expertise from elsewhere in in the world um, to convene the different stakeholders and try and scale up pangolin conservation. And so we act as an advisory body to IUCN, the International Union for Conservation of Nature, and we work on various different levels to help support pangolin conservation so as an example we um assess the species for the iucn red list which is to determine their conservation status globally and to measure extinction risk we provide technical input to international conventions such as cites and we've participated in in recent meetings there we provide support to to range states where people are seeking to to scale up pangolin conservation and and come up with action plans and we also act as, as a convener for stakeholders internationally.
0: So how did you get involved in pangolin work? Is it all down to your PhD work or was there a secret love affair with pangolins beforehand?
1: Probably the latter, if I'm being totally honest. Um, I mean, I, I went to South Africa in 2005 um, and looking through Jonathan Kingdon's field guide of African mammals, the pangolin stood out as species that I would like to see if I could, um, probably because they look so strange and, and dinosaur-like, and, and so it became a running joke when I was in South Africa, um, you know, I'd like to see a pangolin, and I, nar- I, I narrowly missed out on seeing one. Some of my colleagues that were there did see one. Um, I'd opted to go into into town that day to fetch supplies instead of going into the to the bush to do a, a game count, and, and my colleagues saw one, and I didn't, and I, I think... Now that was what sparked my interest because I came back from South Africa and I, I got increasingly in, interested and involved in the species and it seemed that they were um, increasingly threatened but there was nobody acting to do anything to to, to, to show some leadership to this problem and to, to act upon it. Fantastic.
0: And lastly, what would you like to be the three messages that people take away from this podcast about pangolins?
1: I think the, the three biggest messages for me um, should be that pangolins exist. An increasing number of people know that they they do exist now, but but not all that many still, relatively. So one, that pangolins exist. Two, that they're in trouble. Their conservation um, predicament isn't great. Two species are listed as critically endangered, for example. But three, that conservation action has started for pangolins. The last few years have seen something of a a pangolin conservation movement, and we're starting to see now um, real attention and investment in pangolins and and their conservation. Uh, So that would be the third one. But that, of course, needs to be sustained going forward. Okay,
0: fantastic. Thank you very much. Right, I am now with the Zoological Society's resident pangolin expert, Carly Waterman. Carly, in a nutshell, and for the uninitiated, how would you describe a pangolin? Hi, Moni. So I've heard pangolins
2: described variously as mini dinosaurs or pine cones with tails.
0: I think they look a bit like artichokes with tails. Fantastic. So we already had dinosaurs, we already had pine cones, now you've also had the artichoke. Um, Now you've found yourself working with a lot of weird and wonderful species in the past. How did you get involved in pangolin work?
2: I've been working at ZSL for about 11 years now and I started off working on the Edge of Existence programme and Edge prioritises species for conservation attention based on how evolutionarily distinct and globally endangered they are. So in other words it prioritises species that are both threatened and a bit weird in the way they look, live and behave or a bit unique and that's a really good way to describe pangolins. So all pangolins are Edge species so they're really high priorities for conservation attention so I started supporting pangolin conservation through my activities as the edge program manager and grew to love pangolins and wanted to work with them full-time so just over a year ago I moved positions and I'm now uh, in the in the lucky position of being able to work full-time on pangolin conservation.
0: Working full-time on artichokes. How did you celebrate World Pangolin Day?
2: I love World Pangolin Day. So this year I spent most of the day at ZSL London Zoo and I was helping a colleague in the Living Collections man a stool to raise awareness of pangolins. So we created a giant mural. We had little pangolins curled up um, looking a bit like a scale uh, that people could come and and colour in, uh, mostly children but quite a few adults coloured in a pangolin as well and then we stuck all the scales onto a giant pangolin and made a beautiful colourful mural that will hopefully be on display in the zoo in the near future. So lots of awareness raising
0: about pangolins and and celebrating the existence of these amazing animals. So we've already heard from Dan that there are currently eight pangolin species that are recognised. How threatened are these species? So all pangolins are threatened
2: with extinction sadly. We've got two in Asia that are critically endangered on the IUCN Red List, so they're estimated to have population declines of up to 80 or 90 percent, which is really quite alarming. Uh, Another two in Asia are listed as endangered on the IUCN Red List, and the four African species are all listed as vulnerable. And all eight species of pangolin are listed on the basis of uh, estimated population declines, and
0: that's as a result uh, primarily of over-exploitation. Um, So given the immense threats that these species are under, um, we should really talk a bit about possible solutions. What do you see as a possible way to secure a future for pangolins? What needs to change? That's a really good question. So it's quite simple really. We need to
2: stop the poaching, we need to stop the trafficking and we need to stop the demand. So we know what we need to do. Uh, Doing it is the hard part. I would say that We need to protect wild pangolin populations, uh, which is quite difficult because we don't know very much about the status of wild populations of pangolins anywhere in the world. So we need to figure out how to go out and survey for pangolins, how to identify pangolin strongholds, sites um, that are important to pangolins, where they can be protected, uh, and how to protect them. So that could range from doing anti-poaching patrols to engaging local communities to strengthening law enforcement. At the same time, we need to be reducing demand for pangolins, and that's probably the most important long-term conservation priority because while demand still persists, there, there will always be, uh, a, there'll always be traffic, so traffickers will always find a way to circumvent the law. Um, and we need to do that by uh, changing the behaviour of uh, key consumers
0: of the different pangolin products. And what would you like to be the three messages that people take away from this podcast? Mm, Well, I think first of all,
2: uh, I hope that you've enjoyed learning about pangolins and I hope you go away and feel inspired to find out more about them and spread the word about pangolins. So tell everybody that you know about what pangolins are, why they're so amazing, what the threats are and what you
0: can do to help conserve them. Fantastic. Thank you very much. So, my next guest is Paul D'Onelas, also from the Zoological Society of London, who is working on pangolin conservation in Africa. Paul, we've been having this discussion what a pangolin most resembles. Um, do you think it's more like an artichoke or more like a pine cone? <laughs>
3: that's, that's a very difficult question. I don't think either of them are ideal, but I'm going to go with artichoke.
0: Good that's 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 settled then. Um, moving on to more serious things we've heard from Dan and and Carly already that pangolins are highly threatened in the wild. Um, what do you think are solutions to to the threats that pangolins are facing? How do we best conserve this species? Okay.
3: Um, there's going to be a range of different things that we have to do because there's uh, to some extent different aspects to the threats that they face and um, so we're I primarily work in forests of West and Central Africa. There are three species of pangolin found across the country of Cameroon, primarily in the forests there. They will have been eaten by people probably for as long as people and pangolins have lived next to one another. However, recently, as we're seeing two things really, increased consumption locally. As forests are opened up, you're getting increased infrastructure, roads and so on. So you're able to get um, easier access to pangolins, so there's overhunting that way. But we're also seeing that uh, a lot of consumption in Asia, depleting stocks of pangolins there. And we're seeing increased threats, pangolins being hunted in Africa and then shipped across to Asia. So the two main aspects that I think we probably need to do is one, protect them on the ground. And then the other is look at what's actually driving that, which is the, the demand for pangolins and pangolin products.
0: Excellent. So in terms of protecting pangolins on the ground, what is it that you guys are doing in Cameroon? Tell us about it.
3: Okay, so ZSL works in a place called the Java Biosphere Reserve, World Heritage Site, slap bang in the middle of the Congo Basin, incredible moist tropical forest, home to great apes, so gorillas, chimps, forest elephants, but also all three of those species of pangolins that I mentioned. And some of the things that ZSL does is, number one, we work with the government who manage the park to try and uh, what we'd call sort of enhance their their sort of their boots on the ground. So the people are actually there on the ground, deterring poachers, perhaps intercepting poachers, and helping them through equipping them, training them, providing them with sort of new tools like uh, smart software that can help enhance what they're doing on the ground. So that's one aspect. The other is that we will. Sort of enhance law enforcement, so pangolins are actually protected, fully protected now in Cameroon. Despite that, they're still hunted, they're still traded and trafficked. So, uh, enhancing the ability of people to sort of enforce those laws to protect them. Um, so that might be um, just simple training and mentoring of law enforcement officers. It might be providing funds to help legal cases, or it might even be um, providing what we might call a I don't know civil society oversight. So, corruption can be a bit of an issue. And if we have people present from civil society, as in an NGO like ZSL, when people are arrested or perhaps when they're brought before judges and so on, it can help draw people's attention to the fact that the outside world is looking on things. So those would be the main things that we would do on the protection front.
0: And what about um, involving local communities in your project? Is there any kind of community involvement?
3: Around where we work, the Jab Biosphere Reserve Tropical rainforest, but it's not just got wildlife there, it's certainly people are an intrinsic part of that system. So you'll have forest dependent peoples, whether they're indigenous peoples or whether there are people who've moved there um, more recently, and they will be, be living hunting, sustainable farming, etc., or potentially unsustainable, but uh, living in that landscape Um, and they're key actors there may be the people involved in hunting they may be people in uh, local communities who see things going on and so on so zsl has been working with those communities to look at ways that we can develop secure phone lines that people can ring in on if they see something going on or if they hear of something and then also um something called excites which is extreme citizen science um, and that provides these little handheld devices like smartphones and things that can be set up even for people who are illiterate and allows them to both record things that are going on in their, in their locale, whether that's illegal activities, illegal hunters, but also even things like um, law enforcement going on, just so you, you can keep an eye on things so that people aren't um, using uh, law enforcement disproportionately on the wrong groups of people. So I like the idea of extreme citizen science. It's like
0: extreme ironing, just with more purpose. So we're recording this podcast um, for people who might have never previously heard about pangolins. Um, What would you like to be the main messages that people take home from this?
3: So if you've never heard of a pangolin, I think the first thing is that pangolins exist. There are eight species of a mammal, which we've already heard looks like a cross between an artichoke or a pine cone or somewhere in between but basically nothing else you'll have ever seen. They are truly remarkable creatures to look at, but at the moment they're also some of the most threatened creatures in the world. Um, So illegal trade is potentially driving all eight of those species to extinction. However, there are things that people are doing, and there are things that we can do to protect them and stop them going extinct. I think if people can take home that concerning but positive message, then I think that would be great.
0: Cool. Thank you, Paul. And there you have it. I hope you enjoyed our recap of World Pangolin Day. We've learned that pangolins are weird and wonderful creatures that look like pine cones, or dinosaurs that look like pine cones, or dinosaurs that look like artichokes. We also found out how pangolins are highly threatened by poaching and wildlife trade. I think calling for something of a campaign slogan, poach artichokes, not pangolins. Now, maybe this is not an everyday decision for most of us, But here's how you can help, um, by spreading the word about pangolins. Become pangolin enthusiasts. We've clearly met three very enthusiastic people here today. And next year on World Pangolin Day, remember the third Saturday in February, spare a thought for pangolins and maybe raise a glass of wine to them too.